For those who think that the American dream is dead, it is important to examine phenomenon such as Dr. Anthony Young. With a family originating from communist China, Dr. Young was fortunate enough to be the byproduct of tremendous circumstance and work ethic. Creating the medical YES tool and reinventing minimally invasive endoscopic spine surgery are just two byproducts of his patriotism and love for the free market. See if you share what it takes tonight on Chasing Capitalism. Dr. Anthony Young, thank you for coming on and making the time for this. We have mm -hmm. a lot to discuss today, and I'm glad I could get the chance to have a conversation on recording with you. Well, I feel privileged that uh, you decided to interview me because uh, I have lots of ideas, and I'm what you call a GDI, a goddamn independent. And I don't think like everybody else. I don't think like Asians. In fact, I feel a little bit un not happy about Asians are 75% democratic and liberal. Sure. But they're really conservative. They're socially moderate, but fiscally conservative and they work hard and that's how they got ahead. But they forgot all that. They, they want to be democratic and they think it's there for the poor people and so forth. But it's a byproduct of ancestry. It's yes. no fault of their own to want to work hard. Well, it's also a byproduct of your, your culture. Sure. So sure. The blacks have to catch up because they don't have the culture that Italians have and the Germans have and the Chinese Asians, you know. But and demographic as well. Yes, it's all exactly. a, it's all a circumstance of chance. Yes. And um, yeah, well, going into it, you're very outspoken, which like we said before we started the recording, we're both on the same page as, as far as that goes. And I'd like to kind of take it quick glance of what you've successfully done over your career before we dive into any one subject. So sure. why don't you give a um, short 30 second bio of the yes that you created the endoscopic tool and as well as the minimally invasive spinal surgery and where that's gotten you today. It started in 1991 when I took a course by an Iranian named Parvis Kambin. At that time, he emphasized treating the pain generator, which was a disc, but he emphasized staying inside the disc because if you do surgery, you cause scar tissue in the outside and he didn't want us to go outside. After listening to him, I said, no, everything is outside. That's where the nerves are and all the pathology is. So I then decided to go outside and his student told me, say, hey, you know, you're taking this course from Dr. Cambin, but you're not following what he's teaching. I said, I'm not his boy. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I said, the GDI, I, yeah, the inner GDI. But I said, but starting inside is the concept. So that leads to one of the big pearls. If you have back pain, where does it come from? It comes from the disc. Number one, that's where the pain generators are. But you have to look outside because it's a lot more complex than that. Sure. And I, I'm no medical genius by any means, as you know, so a lot of this is going to be going over my head as well as the people's. No, you're a young genius at your age. You know, I'm 80 years old, so I had a lot of time to develop what I learned. Sure. And sure. the YES procedure is basically a philosophy and then a technique, and it became a concept. And I called it young endoscopic spine surgery. But nobody wants to acknowledge that it can use your own name. They don't. They want to stay away from me. They, right. If they say yes, I I follow it. Then people will say, "Who'd you learn it from? Where is he?" I'm going to go to him. And so it's all about preserving, you know, your uh, your brand, brand, yourself, exactly, your knowledge. Yeah. Um, so moving back to your history as a young child, because something that I've taken into account more recently is it's more fascinating to learn where people come from and how they became a byproduct of their upbringing. So. In one of your speeches that I watched, which has been a lot, 
you talked about your escape from communist China and something that a lot of young viewers might not be aware of that aren't necessarily history savvy is that back when our parents were kids, China used to be similar to North Korea in that we didn't know about the culture of ping pong and ramen and whatnot. It was very closed off. And would you like to kind of go in, because I know how much you appreciate the opportunity of being able to come to a capitalist country and live in a republic and be able to reap the benefits of the free market. And it's something that sadly so many people today, unlike yourself, take for granted and actually hate. And you having that perspective, I think, has been a tremendous part of all your success and also the knowledge that I've taken in so far from you. So would you like to give a little background? Well, into I don't like to compare to North Korea because that's political. Right. But China is an ancient civilization and they've had dynasties. But every dynasty lasts three to 500 years and they're, they're gone because they become more and more corrupt. Sure. And well, empires, historically speaking, are about 250 years long. Yes. Right. So the I was fortunate because my mother was born in Portland, Oregon, and her father came to the United States as a teenager, and he, he looked up a family acquaintance, and he was so good to his boss that the boss says, I don't want you to spend your time working in a restaurant and being my bodyguard. You need to go to Alaska in the summer and work there and bring the money back home and I'll give you a piece of land next to my house. So for about 20 years, he went to Alaska or became a cannery fisherman, brought his money back and he had one son and five daughters. Wow. The son was the oldest, but the mother and my mother, her, my, his wife and my mother were very close and she learned how to sew and do things. And so it was during the war that all the Chinese uh, soldiers would come and pay respects to the mother because they wanted to meet the daughter and they were the Lee sisters. Okay, My mother's the oldest. So her mother told her that I'm going to save $10,000 for you. Don't let your father spend it on your brother. That's for you, your education. So she went, when my grandfather went back to China in the 30s, uh, she said, I want to use the money that my mother gave me. The mother died of tuberculosis. So she says, I, I want to go to Beijing and study under the, the last emperor. So when she went back, she was a novelty because she speak English. She was good looking. She was athletic. She was 4'11 and was a guard on the Guangdong basketball team. My father was a swimmer and he was one of those whiz kids that graduated from Sun Yat-sen University. And he worked his way up in the nationalist government. Now, I would guess that you know, any government in power is going to be corrupt, even Chiang Kai-shek. But when Chiang Kai-shek was going to be overtaken by the communists, he just went to Taiwan and took over the whole country of Formosa. So some people like him and some don't. And there's a lot of politics involved. The Taiwanese don't like him, but the Chinese do because he was a nationalist Chinese and my father was in that party. But luckily, we were not one of the immigrants who came over as coolies. We had education. And so uh, when we came back, 1949, October, my mother went to Tucson, Arizona because her sisters were there. And they all just got married. And can you imagine? She had three kids and we went, moved in with the, their sister was newlywed. A bit of an animal house. Oh, yeah. We were terrors. So, but I learned to appreciate that uh, my uncle took me in, my aunt took me in. And at eight years old, I started working in a grocery store, 10 cents an hour. And, and so I, now. yeah, and I, then my mother says, hey, Tony, you have to turn around in one generation because you don't want to have two or three generations before your children uh, benefit it. So I said, okay, I became very bossy 
and that my middle sister, it's okay, my younger sister is just like me. We fought all the time. Sure. So that's how I got my start. I had to turn around in one generation and through hard work. Fantastic. Who, which specific parent of yours said that once you come to America and reap the benefits of it, work until you can't work anymore? Is that my your mother. Father, your mother? It's fascinating. I like to credit my father, but my father, when he came, I was in high school and he did some jobs, but my mother put him through University of Arizona and as a, with a medic MBA. And he, he went directly from Hong Kong to graduate school and got an MBA at University of Arizona. It's incredible. And then he became a banker and uh, she also worked in the bank. So we, we knew Walter Bimson and uh, the people who started First National Bank. I end up taking care of his boss. Wow. Wow. Hazeltine was his name. And so after that, you know, uh, when I developed my system, eventually the last five or six years, I was able to guarantee my result. I said, look, people want me, they're willing to pay more, but I can do you for free. I can do you for what insurance pays, but if you can afford it, pay me more. And I'll use that in order to promote what I do. Sure. So that's, that's how the yes fantastic. system became. And but, you've done people for free. So yes. I've heard as well. But I benefited because all the, their friends that had insurance, they all came to me. So eventually I didn't lose anything. I, you know, I would barter and, Right. I just I just do this because what am I what else am I going to do? Say no, I I had a technique that I was able to help people, and um, so that was what drove me. And frankly, I've never seen testimonials that seem as legitimate as yours. I w I was watching a clip on your website, and I forget the gentleman's name, but he said he came in and you were in the airport going over his spinal surgery and you said, no, I can fix this. Other people will do it this way. Oh. This is my way and I can fix it. He was and, a professional ball player. And, and he said yeah. when he came back, he was almost crying because of how good it felt to finally. You know, it's all dramatized. I know. <laughs> so, you I know. know what I mean? This it, is too a little it, bit. This but... is what placebo, if people like you, Everything is perfect. Sure. If they don't like you, everything is terrible. Well, it's it's like, like Democrats and Republicans. Well, it's yeah. like the difference between evaluating a company based on their performance, based off their website. You know, it's yeah. two different things. And um, yeah. I, I, I also think, and I know I brought this up earlier when we were talking outside of the office, but when you were giving that speech and it was going into endoscopic surgery and then the next slide was a cartoon of Trump and then the fish and then a picture of a swamp and you were explaining what a swamp was at the Chinese <laughs> convention. It was, I lost it. It was incredible. Uh, it was hilarious. Well, there's another cartoon. The key opinion leaders. One was the uh, medical director of a workman's comp and he couldn't do what I did and he wanted to... Uh, shut me down so he did a study with my patients and I did the same study and he claimed that I was only 30% successful I said I'm 75% successful for people who are working and in pain and they all go back to the original job and he had nothing to say at that time then I sued him and he ended up we said a lot of court for six figures but then, <laughs> then there was a couple other people I went after one from Barrels Neurologic Institute, since you're from here. And nobody talks about him anymore because he tried to take me on. God, you're, you're really similar to Trump in that aspect. Who was his lawyer in New York in his early days when he was starting up his empire? Uh, he worked for the mafia as well. Giuliani? Yes. No, no, Giuliani? not Giuliani. Not Giuliani. It was, it was in a documentary I watched a ways back on him. And oh, and he ended up turned on him, right? This guy. I, I can't remember. It's such a big yeah, everybody's story. Everybody's preserving, you know, their legacy. Trump's a different story because he was too big to fail. He took, just took on but enormous he, amounts of debt. He was also very, not just arrogant, but, you know, he, like when he developed Taj Mahal, he overspent. Right. And some people didn't get paid. He was ignorant. And right. He, he wasn't loyal to his employees. And right. His, exactly. His so that's why everybody hated him. But then he made it. He made himself. But what he did was good for the country in concept. Definitely, but definitely. You, you don't have to be like like him. You have to be, you know, at least uh, not too you, moral. Yeah, you you have to know how to do it, but you also have to be good to 
America, which ultimately he was, but that's why so many people against him because he pissed off so many people. Sure, it's understandable. Yeah. Believe me, it's understandable. So I understand that because my early in my career, everybody was against me for 10 years. And you broke headway. To be clear, Dr. Anthony Young invented the YES system, which why don't you go into that tool a little bit because people might hear that term and just think we're saying yes to it well, with each other. Okay, the first mistake I think I made was I named it after myself, okay? And nobody wants to do that. But basically it was the philosophy based on a technique and it evolved over 30 years. The philosophy was treat the source of the pain. And what is the most critical source of pain when you have back pain? It's your disc, okay? P people say, no, it's other things, but it's the disc. And the philosophy is treat the pain generator, being the disc, and then the technique is develop a way to treat the pain generator. And you can't prove what's the pain generator unless you take a picture and I use video, okay? So the YES system is a video documentation of what causes pain and, and then a technique to do an injection to identify the source, like a discogram, epidural. And once you know that, my famous recommendation to people who wanna to come to me, I said, I'm treating your pain, you're not gonna die. So my first recommendation, don't have surgery, suck it up. And they go, how can I suck it up? I, I wanna play golf, I wanna do this. Then you ask me to do what I can. And if you don't get better, you don't have to pay. So basically I guarantee my result as a surgeon. You do. But it's a surgical procedure. You do. So th and in a nutshell, that's the yes system. It's an incredibly, look, it's an incredibly looking device. Um, incredible looking device. I drew that up with a mark, with a draftsman. Really? And, and not an engineer. I said, make it this way. It was, that's 1997. And Richard Wolf was the company that said, we'll make it for you. At that time, Cambin had his own system. And once my system came out, nobody bought his. Wow. Okay. And then there was another company called Stores. And I was talking to both Stores and Wolf, the two big endoscope companies. And the guy who was the head of Stores, he saw a friend of his, I was talking to him and he turned around. And I said, hey, yeah, I was talking to him. So I went over to the other guy and I gave it to Richard Wolf. And fortunately, Richard Wolf was not owned by a family. It was owned by the government. The family died, had no heirs, so the government took over. It was by committee. And the system was just don't lose money, but you don't have to make a lot of money. Well, I'm sure you had a bone or two to pick there. Well, they used me and they gave me royalties for 21 years, but they never wanted to accept that a Chinese was the guy that engineered it for a German. It's an incredible you have to, story. You have to have a it's German the American mentality. dream, is what yeah. it is. You're but you hear about German engineers, the they, they really are the best engineers in the world. And we'd all be speaking German if the V2 rocket came out before the hydrogen bomb. Right. And the hydrogen bomb was a Jewish guy <laughs> that developed it. So why do people hate Jews? Because they're too successful. Well, you look back to outliers. Yeah. It all loops right. back. Right. And everybody but has their advice. That's, that's a long story of how it developed, but I'm glad I named it a YES system because otherwise I have to spend a whole paragraph to explain what it is. I said, the YES system, YES technique, YES philosophy. And I tied it in with the Shaolin monk philosophy. And everybody- Which is what? Which is uh, learn martial arts, but for the use of defense. And then you emphasize speed over strength. And then if you're the Shaolin monk, everybody else is a grasshopper until they can grasp the, 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 the information they, and yeah. knowledge and know-how. So I call everybody a grasshopper. And so my, <laughs> my students say, hey, did I graduate from a grasshopper to a locust or maybe something different? Right, it's, it's fantastic. And you know, a hummingbird to a eagle. You sure, know, that kind of thing. sure. How many people do you have at your office now? I have five. Okay. High-end spine surgeon. My son was the first one to join me in 2001. And it was a father-son duo operation. Right. And then he brought in a Jewish guy, 
Justin Field. Then we brought in a Palestinian, Neiman Salari, and then we added a Irish guy, and then now we added another Chinese guy. So I just sounds like a lot of arguments to me. No, no, they all get along. (laughs) I said I'm still looking for a black guy that's going to meet our criteria. (laughs) Diversity, I suppose. Yeah, right. That's fantastic. So your son is overseeing all operations of the minimally invasive surgery now. Basically, yes, but as his father, I hung on to 32% of what I started. Rightfully so. So, and then when I'm ready to pass it on, since my son is a spine surgeon, he's gonna get it, so I have to equalize. My daughter is a dermatologist. Okay. So my wife says, what is that? Do? Why you, is that? That's where the blonde girl analogy was coming from. Yeah, with right. the skin. I, okay. I said that look, makes sense. Go into dermatology, go into skin care, and since you're Asian, you're going to have nice skin just from <laughs> your genes. But everybody thinks it's because of your product. Uh huh. You know. <laughs> so that's Lauren. That's the one that's going to go to TCU. Fantastic. Well, you know, not always a ton of truth to marketing, and but hey, everything is marketing. What works works. It's capitalism, marketing, but the problem is in healthcare, you can't afford how you, when you give free healthcare to everybody, you have to ration, but you have to do it in a way that people don't think you're rationing. You have to say, this is how we have to do. And the government is uh, responsible de- deciding what you want. And if they don't know, then they don't know. But with the internet, with 5G, 6G, you can't hide information. No, you can't. In, in the past, you could do that and fool the people, but you can't fool all the people all the time. Well, people are still fooled. In fact, most people are somehow. Unless people like you. See, I was just amazed at how young you were and you follow your father's footsteps and you're way mature beyond your age. Thank you. Very big compliment from somebody like well, you. I think Thank your you. father would be proud. Oh, he is. Tells me a lot. Yeah. It's great you look at all the stories on the wall and it's it makes me wonder what yeah. mine's going to be like. Well, if I had any advice to you as you know, just somebody like you, do what you really like, be the best at it, do the best you can and it's not work. It's just oh. like these professional athletes, the superstars, Michael Jordan, so some of my patients say you're the Michael Jordan of basketball. I said, yeah, he's he's the oldest, but you know, but he, he accomplished just because right. he, he was able to do that. Now you have, but you have to work as a team. You can't be an individual. Did you ever operate under employment of another before you started your own clinic? Never. Or was this right off the bat after right you kind of this? I decided I want to be my own boss. And how did you know that this operation would work? I used to be with a big group called the Orthopedic Clinic. And we were the biggest and the most established group in Phoenix. Okay, I would have gone to Thomas Davis Clinic in Tucson, but my wife says, "I don't want to live in Tucson. If you want to want me Good to call. be with you, you got to go to Good call. Phoenix." And then my boss was the heir to Johnson and Johnson, and he really liked me. And all my teachers, when I was an intern, they liked me. I was drafted to go into Vietnam. And I was going to go in 1971, but then they had this thing called the Berry Plan. If you get deferred to a need that they have, like orthopedic surgery, they said, well, defer you until you finish. So I told my boss, and he said, okay, you don't have to interview. We make a place for you. So I, I told the Navy. At that time, I joined the Navy because I didn't want to be, you know, in the Army with a whole bunch I want to be in a big naval port. So luckily, when I was scheduled to go in in 1975, the war just ended, Vietnam War ended. So I was the first surgeon, orthopedic surgeon, to do spine surgery in the Philippines, in the Far East. Is that where your first surgery took place? Yes. And when I walked around with an American naval uniform, all the Chinese girls did a double take. <laughs> oh, what's he doing? <laughs> naval uniform. (laughs) Oh, that's great. We have lots of stories. My my wife will tell you. Uh They didn't care if she was there. They they wanted to find out what I was. What you were all about. Yeah. 
When did you move operations to the United States? 1978. And that's, if I have it right, 20 years before you invented the YES system? Yes. So you were all, were you already doing the same procedure without the tool? No, I was doing traditional surgery. Okay. I was doing open surgery. I was very good with my hands. And Do I you had, have the doctor hand, the steady hand? See? That, Still that, kicking. But all in small. And then I also used every trick to make sure that patients don't hurt. So the nurses noticed, Dr. Young's patient, they never need pain pills. They want to go home. Okay. And you still, to this date, do not use anesthesia. That's correct, right? I use it just to show that it can be done, but you have to learn how to do it with the patient awake, and then you get really good at it. So when the patient's awake, they'll tell you when they hurt, and you have to be confident enough to work around the pathology. But sometimes, you know, the anatomy isn't the same. You, you have branches of nerves that I call furco nerves. Very few people talk about it, but it's in the anatomy book. A furcal nerve is a branch of the main nerve. As an example, a carrot, that's a root, right? But you have all these little sure. branches coming out and the branches come out. Some are sensory and some are motor and some are mixed. So you have to figure out which is which. If it's a sensory, you ablate it, you cure pain. If it's mixed, you get some weakness. Okay, if it's motor, you get more weakness than pain relief. So you have to be able to figure that out. And the best way is to do it when the patient's awakened and tell you if they feel what you're doing. And if they feel it, you work your way around it. Sometimes you have to cut the nerve. So you either decide, okay, you gotta quit and come in of a different direction. So the, the concept is you approach the cause of the pain from different portals. Just like a house, you have the front door, back door, side door. You can even come in through the roof. Or the chimney. Or the chimney. Right. And, and I sort of developed that gradually over 30 years. So the last five years, I felt confident enough, confident enough so that uh, I was able to guarantee my results. You're a perfect example of the 10,000 hour rule. Do you know and, that rule? No. If you do anything for 10,000 hours, you will be a master at it. Another great example of that, I don't know if you're a Beatles fan, I'm more of an Elvis guy myself, but yeah. the reason they got so good is because they got signed to play at these strip clubs for eight hours a day, seven days a week. And that was for, I think it was about two to three years, and that's probably wrong, but you get the point. It's 10,000 yeah. hours. And they got is 11,000 cases. Yeah. Things I yeah. have of that. And I was the spine surgeon for Band-Aids. These are the strippers. They don't want a scar in their back. So they have, <laughs> and then I have a little t-shirt that says disc. Here's what it takes to top our surgery is a little band-aid. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So I tried, I, you know, I try to make light of it. Mm -hmm. That's great. I, and, and you're helping people and you're doing it better than anybody else. And in some instances, you're doing it cheaper than anybody else, which is a big, Yes, it's, it's one of the three ways you can either solve a problem and, and you're doing two of the ways. Well, but, but I have to say, some of my students are better than me. They learn from me and then so they, they spread out and they're doing things. Some of them are getting some pushback, but I give them. Well, you the, experienced a lot of that, right? right? Right. I had one guy, I don't remember his name. His name is Gene Shapiro. But anyway, he said, you remember me, you know, you were operating on me and you had all these Chinese, Japanese and Filipino guys watching. And he was the one that had a surgery that was getting, was wor working for five, nine years. Then he started hurting and everybody said, no, you need a fusion. And he came to me and he says, I don't want a fusion. Can you help me? I said, yeah, I can treat the cause of the pain. And I see him at the Arizona Country Club. I forgot who he was, but then I, I looked up his surgery and sure enough, we had all these Asian guys, <laughs> but I'm like Bruce Lee, you know, I, I teach everybody, but all the Asian migrate to me. <laughs> so Bruce Lee is only supposed to teach uh -huh. Chinese, nobody else. You know? uh -huh. Well, so. yeah, you, you have a big pot to fill too. <laughs> yeah. You do.
Um, yeah, and, and you're clearly making headway with all these other doctors that have different methodologies. And before studying your career path and who you are as a person, I had no idea the kind of feuds that went on in the medical field, not even politically driven necessarily, which it's they worse, are. But, it's worse than... But it's interesting to see how some people think that their method trumps yours and then the bickering that comes out of that and, and the disagreement. I don't know if they truly think that way, but here's the problem with capitalism. You have to market your idea and you want to make money from it. Okay, How many ideas last forever? No, you're good for so many years and then something else comes up, right? Even in, in cars, for instance, you know, combustible engine and things like that, change, things change. And hi history is full of pioneers and people, thought leaders who were criticized and not only criticized, but they actually were persecuted, like Semmelweis. You know, it used to be if you are a doctor, you learn by dissecting dead people in the gross anatomy lab and doing uh, autopsies. The doctors would then go from the autopsy room to deliver babies and they had all this bacteria from the autopsy and women were dying. And this guy Semmelweis say, hey, you gotta wash your hands because infecting women, they die of childbirth. And they, he died a pauper because he was being attacked. And then history, Lister, for instance, he said, there's bacteria you can see in the microscope. Marie Curie, you know, with uh, x-ray and things like that. History is full of that. So that's why I like history. And I like to read autobiographies. But now I'm too lazy to read. So I went, <laughs> I went to the movie me remake. I sit there. Uh -huh. And the one that I really like is uh, Sun Tzu. You heard about Sun Tzu, Art of War? I'm a back. <laughs> so it's so funny you say that. The gentleman I brought up, just a while ago, Jason Allen, who I had on the show yesterday, yeah. and I shouldn't say that because we're backlogging this, but yeah. his next recommendation for me was Art of War. So I'm actually starting it tonight. You can buy it and they're making a new one. And it, it talks about- An anniversary the, copy. Art, yeah, an Art of War. And it's three hours worth. But when you watch, you know, who's the most valuable guy when you're at war? Is it? The prime minister is it the emperor i believe it's the people the strategist okay he's number one that's the art of war you have to learn the weaknesses of your enemy and you have to attack them at a point where they don't suspect it that's the art of war is that the whole book summed up yeah the dr anthony young's well not, it's not mine it's it's this guy even the u.s military start studied the art of war you have to study the weaknesses of your enemy and then you have to get close to them first and then you have to destroy them at the right time. How many people have you destroyed? <laughs> uh, I'm not a pacifist, but, uh, you know, I don't destroy them by killing them, but I make them think they had 10 years of bad luck. The Italians want a dead horse <laughs> in mm -hmm. the bed. Uh -huh. But they say, oh, how come I have such bad luck? Because yeah. I wanted to do it very subtly. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I'm just And let your work up. speak for yourself as well. That's well, what it seems you've I done. don't know. I gather some of this um, philosophy. You know, just like in, Ch in, in China, Mao Zedong in the, six, in the 60s when I was in college, he had the Cultural Revolution set China back 50 years. So now, if you want power, you, you try to do that, but then it's more and more difficult because in, in those days, people don't travel, they stay where they were and you can fool them. But if you became a tyrant long enough, there's gonna be rebellion. Sure. All, all over the world. That's the power of the Second Amendment. <laughs> yeah. Power is well, the people. And it all goes back to checks and balances yeah. between medical practices, government, Judiciary, legislative, executive, right. that's, what it's, that's what it's all about. Right, the right to bear arms, freedom of speech. But sometimes it's not good to have too much freedom. Look at Greece, Western civilization. Economically, they're not doing that well. 
but whenever they don't like it, they go on strike for one day and then they go back to work. <laughs> right, right. Well, it's, it's a matter of checks and balances yeah. by the government. So we the basically people. followed the British system, okay? But um, they lost the war, so they should shut up. <laughs> well, <laughs> I have a lot of Brits of who, are, who are friends and who are, uh, you know, who, who are patients. But we're more tied in with England. Okay, but, uh, and then the history of China. People wanted their tea and their silk. So they have no way to pay for it. They pay with silver. All of a sudden, they don't have silver left. So what they did is they forced opium on the Chinese. And so they gave them drugs in order so that they don't feel like, you know, they're sure. so oppressed. Sure. No, there was, um, I forget during which war, but there was the thought of releasing chemicals to make the enemy woozy from a freight carrier. And it never necessarily turned out, but the methodology of making your enemy submissive to the point where they can't comprehend. And then you have the rules of war that enter no chemical warfare and then the nuclear right. stuff with Hiroshima. There's still stockpiles of that. Right. But look at the hydrogen bomb. It's unethical to use it, but the U.S. is the only one that ever used it on another country. Right. But they saved the world. And then now Japan For nuclear is, destruction. Yeah, right. And that's where North Korea, you know, you can't trust North Korea and Iran because they're too radical, right? Right. Well, it, it, it goes back, and I said this to Jason the other day, is whenever I come back, knowing you're an avid traveler now with your new jet, it uh, makes you appreciate the country a lot more, having that perspective. But I also get to know Chinese women. <laughs> <laughs> and Eileen doesn't care. She says, nobody else can afford me, so. <laughs> <laughs> For an old man, you still got it. Well, you still got it in my head. <laughs> yeah, sharp. Listen, when you turn seventy-five, everything goes south. So I have diabetes, and I'm listening more to the naturopaths and the osteopaths. So I'm, I'm trying different things because I have peripheral neuropathy. In my, I'm, you know, my legs are weak and I get rashes. So I'm gonna have an open mind and try naturopathic medicine they talk about vegetables and you know these pills that you take that's just freeze-dried vegetables if oh you don't God, like i've eat, seen those on fox <laughs> i know people swear by it but then there's a placebo effect because if they take it oh i feel much better you know what's funny is my dad actually bought those too really he really balance did. of nature he really did can he tell the difference oh definitely not you <laughs> may say he did but i don't buy it but they all say oh i feel better right well, you know, it's kind of it's kind of similar to buying the pillow, you know, with Mike Wendell. Oh. It's, it's supporting the cause, right? But you know, a lot of people were against him, and so Sebastian Gorka supported him. So what they said was, just make make it cheap enough, everybody can buy. They go directly to the customer. Sure. Well, I I actually had the chance to hear him speak at uh, Barry McGuire's home about yeah. a month ago. Yeah. I had the chance to shake Sebastian his hand. Sebastian Gorka. And, no, Mike Wendell. Oh, yeah. Very, very but, fascinating story. And um, to hear the rags to riches, similar to yourself, is, is always right. an, a sought-after tale by the American but people. I didn't know that the left was against him and they wanted to show very him Very much out. so. He's, so he's, he's been canceled. Right. As, but then he sells directly to people supported by... No, sales have gone through the roof. I know. He's doing fantastic. And he's been very generous with the Republican campaign and even managing one himself. And... There was a story that came out about him uh, the day before the inauguration. He was walking out of Trump's office and they had paparazzi zooming in on the files that he was holding and it was all about election fraud and whatnot. And so that that was the snowball that did him in. But even radical right wingers, it's it's very fascinating to me to hear people's story business wise and, yeah. and have somebody realize that used to be living in motel rooms shooting up that politics play a big role in business and realize why X, Y, and Z is affected by X, Y, and Z in the government. And um, his, his story is entirely based on faith. Yeah. It's incredible. See, my point is if you depend too much on government, you're getting taken. So you Well, have... big government is never the answer. Right. And if you trust the government, then that's your own fault. That's Darwinism sure. playing its role. See, my concept is as a doctor, healthcare, 
we can't afford unlimited health care. No, we shouldn't. And no, free nobody should be granted free health care. Right. You, should, you should pay for it because you want to live. Right. If you don't want to live, that's your own undoing. But on the other hand, the doctors are the ones that have to develop it or de deliver it. So I'm for physician autonomy, that we can do what we think is best, but also patient power. The patient can choose you or not choose you, okay? And then the final outcome is, if you're going to do this for the patient, you have to be confident enough that if they pay you to do it, you guarantee the result. Otherwise, they don't have to pay. If you do that, all the quacks and all the people aren't as good as they say they are, they're going to go out of business, right? Right. So you let your services that's great speak equalizer. for yourself. That's the right. great equalizer. But it took me 30 years to get to the point. In the last five years, I guarantee my result. But they also pay me more and I can barter, you know? And then also operate for free if somebody yeah, needs a favor, right. which is your version of giving back. Right. One of many, I'm assuming. But, but I have people that need surgery. The, the ones I like the best are, you know, I put dings on my car, body shop, and say, you take care of all my dings, I'll take care of your, your back. Oh, okay, good deal. You're a barterer at heart. Yeah. <laughs> or, you know, you trade, um, trade a, an art piece of art, you know, like a Picasso. <laughs> but I don't even <laughs> like Picasso. Somebody, I have this Picasso, and I said, you know, that's worth $20,000. i will give it to you if you do my surgery. I said, okay, fine. <laughs> <laughs> you really are yeah. something of all trades. Well, but you're going in the same path. You know, sure. you follow your father's sure. advice. But eventually, you know, I'm fortunate. My son's very high-end. My daughter's a dermatologist high-end. All my grandchildren, they're at the, at the top. Okay, the one you... You're going to meet in uh, TCU. In TCU is uh, she was a national cheerleading champion, and then the other one was all academic volleyball player, and she's only five two, but they made her five four. So <laughs> the, the colleges would take it. <laughs> uh -huh. So there's a little fledging going on. Talent talks. Yeah, and she goes to uh, Notre Dame, and her boyfriend, the first one non-Chinese. He's the son of a North Peak surgeon who knows my son and me, and he, he flies an airplane. So he's, he's going to Notre Dame, same class. Next two of you. Yeah. Yeah, so dipping your hands in all these pots at the end of the day and helping these people and in, inventing your own brute, and not only your own brute, but your own business as well, and being able to own that business, what would you have done differently if you could go back? I wouldn't have done anything different. Only thing is, I'd like to be spoiled by a rich father. <laughs> but I didn't have a rich father. I had a father. Well, then with, you have to think, would you be in the position that you're in today, medically, if you had the luxury growing up? Well, in a way, I did. But he's the one that showed me. He's, he's a banker, international banker. And he loved, you know, to go on these trips. But he would brag about how many, see this millionaire, this billionaire? I lend him his first million dollars and look how successful. He said, Dad, why don't you do it for your family? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, might, might build a little bit of grit. That wouldn't have been there. But the great thing is no. you can do what you would have done differently now. Yes, I don't think I would have done much different. Maybe I have one wife and a whole bunch of uh, people that, you know, Keeps them out of her hair, you know. <laughs> they go, that, that's a Chinese philosophy. But is it? Yeah. Is that the culture? Well, you. each emperor has a concubine, but the wife, the first wife has the first son, is the consort, and she controls all the other women. The and queen she, bee of sorts? Yes, and she'd rather have it that way because she doesn't have to be bothered all the time, you know. Well, I'm sure she enjoys your company. <laughs> I kid around with her. She says, yeah, keep dreaming. Yeah, yeah. So what are you doing in international standpoints? Now, I, I hear you're going to Miami frequently. Is that right? No, I went because they had a meeting of a spine organization that I support in Miami. Okay. But I mostly go to Asia. I go to Shanghai, Beijing, Taiwan. 
Southeast Asia because I like traveling there. You yeah. know, I've, I've never been to Asia and, and it's Asia. not something I've necessarily had on my list, but. I think uh, you're gonna see a whole different, you go to Shanghai, it looks cleaner, more modern and more advanced than New York City. Really? New York City is almost like a slum compared. Well, New York City is a bit of a slum now, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah, but they have, Beijing is where the power is. Shanghai is where the business is. Guangzhou is the manufacturing capital. And where do you fall in all that? I'm in Guangzhou. Okay. So I'm the business person, you know. Right. But on, based on healthcare, my wife's family, they they had a big a building on Embassy Row, but we lost it, you know, to the communists. But eventually, the communists said, if you spend the money to clean it up, we'll give it back to you, but you have to do the repairs. Well, so I don't they know if did, I would trust that, but. Well, they did, she, their, their, uh, their uncles uh, sold it. And she had five, her, her father was one of five brothers. They all fought in World War II, you know, Saving Private Ryan. Great movie. So none of them was killed in World War II, but the father, her father was a bombardier finished number two in bombardier school. And he, he could not write anything down. He had to memorize it and teach it just in case. See, and one of the uncles became a prisoner of war. He was in Europe and just as the World War II ended. So he was prisoner of war for a few months. Wow. So, so they were all lucky and all of them survived. It's, it's, it's my brothers. And and imagine the family history that, that that preserves. We have one of the pictures up here is of General Charles Keller, and somehow the name got oh, broken up and army? my dad didn't inherit it. It's a long story, and I did a big report on it back in sophomore year, I believe. And, and he was more of an infantryman and ended up helping build a bridge. And uh, it, oh, it's very so interesting so to, to hear the your family's military history, I, yeah. I think, plays a big part in the morals that have been passed down in generations of yeah. working hard and falling in line and learning when to speak. Is there a book about him? Don't believe so. Oh. I See, think there I, might be one by our family, but nothing oh. that's published. But. See, we all hear about Custer, right? You know, he, he led his troops and right. they all got massacred. Right. It's, it's a shame. Yeah. But I, I'll have to read that book, Art of War. I'll get on that tonight. Yeah, it's boring if you read it. Look at the movie. Okay. Six hours. Well, I can do audio books if it's a boring book. Oh, really? But yeah. the you can get it on uh, Amazon for $25. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. So I, I'm lazy now. I'd rather just sit there. And Enjoy your fruits of your labor. Yeah. Because if I, my wife likes to read, but for me, you know, uh, Chinese historical things like who's that Amy Tan, the Joy Luck Club, and it's all fiction. But a lot of that is true, you know, with the Chinese community. Crazy Rich Asians, did you watch that one? I didn't, but so many of my girlfriends <laughs> yeah. love that movie. And then there's another one called Bling Empire. This is a modern version of Crazy Rich Asians okay. from Beverly Hills. Okay. It's kind of over the top, but it can be interesting. Were you a fan of it? No. Yeah. Well, I, I like crazy rich Asian, but Bling Empire was just too much. You are a crazy rich Asian. Well, I'm I'm calling myself crazy poor Asian that became rich because of hard work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But you know, if, if you work hard and you're successful and you're fiscally conservative, you're gonna do well. You will. And that's because of the system here. Every immigrant that comes here, that's why I feel for these people from Guatemala that want a better life, but they don't have the benefits. They pay and they pay their taxes, but whatever they make, they send it back, you know, to Venezuela or wherever. I can't tell you how refreshing it is to hear somebody with your standpoint and having a love for this country coming from family that is rooted in communism and realizing the deficits oh, of it. It's, yeah. it's fantastic to hear a story but like everybody yours. else wants to come here and we're trying you know, I, I don't think we ought to lock them out, but we ought to give them a path to citizenship if in so many years they, you know, they serve uh, 
the, the country and they do work. I myself, I have what we call amigos. These are Mexican craftsmen that I have do things in my house, the, the floors and the granite and things like that. I trust them better than others. Right. And I, when I have handymen, I hire people who have family-owned businesses where they teach their kids to do the same thing. The trick of the trade. Right. And so they're a handyman that has really a construction business, okay, that's family-owned. Well, it, it's a matter of doing things legally is what's yeah. important. Yeah. And, and the country should not be open to everybody. I believe that you should follow the due process that requ is required by law. And if you legally come into this country, then I'll welcome you with open arms. Sure. But, but the, issue, the issue that arises is when you have these people coming in illegally and hopping the border, then job decreases. And then people say, well, what about the taxation? Well, then it's going to be harder for companies to run uh, and employ people. And actually, I shouldn't say that. It's going to be easier and it's going to be harder for people to get employed that are immigrating. And then therefore, the right. downfall of the empire starts. It's Do you know how the simple. Chinese did it? Do tell. All, all these people that come here as single, they go back to China every when they have enough money. Every one of them has a son called Paper Son. And so you buy the papers. When you claim that you have a son and you don't have, you can sell it. My papers were worth $10,000 in 1949. <laughs> and my mother said, no way. <laughs> I said, that's good. So Cannot I, be bought. Yeah, it cannot be bought. But if you're desperate, that's what you do. So there are a lot of Chinese here. They're here legally, but I illegally because they know how to game the system. And you know, there was a Chinese Exclusion Act back in the 40s. Right. So if you were born before 1940 of American citizen, you became naturalized. But after Chinese Exclusion Act, you had to apply for citizenship. Right. right. And then it's the sense of those who were grandfathered in were fortunate enough right. to start a family here and then increase more immigration for others. Right. It's fantastic. Well, doctor, thank you so much for coming well, on. I, a great I really enjoyed this. This was a, Easy, a, a right? pleasure. Yeah. Well, you know, always speak our mind. And exactly. You're a good interviewer. It's more of a I wish conversation. I was as smart you, do, as, you do all the work. I wish me. I was as smart as you when I was your age. No, I don't know about that. <laughs> but thank you so much for coming on. Yeah. We'll have to do Thanks it again for, sometime. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. Okay. Great job.